Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 11, Janet. Once away, Gibby had no thought of returning. Up Durside was propulsive force, but when he lifted his head from drinking at the stream, which was one of some size, and greatly refreshed, looked up its channel. A longing seized him to know whence came the water of life, which had thus restored him to bliss. High burn first appears upon the earth. He thought it might come from the foot of a great conical mountain, which seemed but a little way off. He would follow it up and see. So away he went, yielding at once, as was his wont, to the first desire that came. He had not trotted far along the bank, however, before at a sharp turn he saw that its course was a much longer one than he had imagined, for it turned from the mountain and led up among the roots of other hills. While here in front of him, direct from the mountain, as it seemed, came down a smaller stream and tumbled noisily into this. The larger burn would lead him too far from the dar. He would follow the smaller one. He found a wide, shallow place, crossed the larger, and went up the side of the smaller. Doubly free after his imprisonment of the morning, Gibby sped joyously along. Already nature had its largeness, its openness, its loveliness, its changefulness. Oneness and change had begun to heal the child's heart and comfort him in his disappointment with his kind. The stream he was now ascending ran along a claw of the mountain, which claw was covered with almost a forest of pine, protecting little colonies of less hardy timber. Its heavy green was varied with the pale, delicate fringes of the fresh foliage of the larches, filling the air with aromatic breath. In the midst of their soft tufts, each tuft buttoned with a brown spot, hung the rich brown knobs and the tassels of last year's cones. But the trees were all on the opposite side of the stream, and appeared to be mostly on the other side of a wall. Where Gibby was, the mountain root was chiefly of rock, interspersed with heather. A little way up the stream he came to a bridge over it, closed at the farther end by iron gates between pillars, each surmounted by a wolf's head in stone. Over the gate on each side leaned a rowan tree, with trunk and branches aged and gnarled amidst their fresh foliage. He crossed the burn to look through the gate, and pressed his face between the bars to get a better sight of a tame rabbit that had got out of its hutch. It sat like a druid white with age, in the midst of a gravel drive, much overgrown with moss, that led through a young larch wood, with here and there an ancient tree, lonely amidst the youth of its companions. Suddenly from the wood a large spaniel came bounding upon the rabbit. Gibby gave a shriek, and the rabbit made one white flash into the wood. With the dog after him, he turned away sad at heart. Resuming his journey of investigation, he trotted along the bank of the burn, farther and farther up, until he could trot no more. 
but must go clambering over great stones, or sinking to the knees in bog, patches of it red with iron, from which he would turn away with a shudder. Sometimes he walked in the water along the bed of the burn itself. Sometimes he had to scramble up its steep side to pass one of the many little characters of its descent. Here and there a small silver birch, or a mountain ash, or a stunted fir tree hung over the stream. Its banks were mainly of rock and heather, but now and then a small patch of cultivation intervened. Gibby had no thought that he was gradually leaving the abodes of men behind him. He knew no reason why, and ascending things should change, and be no longer as in plainer ways. For what he knew, there might be farm after farm, up and up forever, to the gates of heaven. But it would no longer have troubled him greatly to leave all houses behind him for a season. A great purple foxglove could do much now, just at this phase of his story, to make him forget, not the human face, but the loss of it. A lark aloft in the blue, from whose heart, as from a fountain, whose roots were lost in the air, its natural source issued, not a stream, but an ever-spreading lake of song was now more to him than the memory of any human voice he had ever heard, except his father's and Sambo's. But he was not yet quite out and away from the dwellings of the people. I may as well now make this attempt to give some idea of Gibby's appearance, as he showed, after so long wandering, of dress he had hardly enough left to carry the name. Shoes, of course, he had none. Of the shape of trousers there remained nothing, except the division between and behind in the short petticoat to which they were reduced. And those rudimentary divisions were lost in the multitude of rents of equal apparent significance. He had never, so far as he knew, had his shirt upon his body, and his sole other garment was a jacket, so much too large for him, that to retain the use of his hands he had folded back the sleeves quite to his elbows. Thus reversed they became pockets, the only ones he had, and in them he stowed whatever provisions were given him of which he could not make immediate use, porridge and sowins, and mashed potatoes included. They served him, in fact, like the first of the stomachs of those animals which have more than one. His head had plentiful protection in his own natural crop had never either had or required any other. That would have been of the gold order, had not a great part of its collar been sunburnt, rained, and frozen out of it. Always it pointed as if surcharged with electric fluid, crowning him with a wildness which was an amusing contrast with the placidity of his countenance. Perhaps the resulting oddness in the expression of little homeless Sir Gibby, a look as if he had been hunted till his body and soul were nearly ruffled asunder, and had already parted company in aim and interest, might have been the first thing to strike a careless observer. But if the heart was not a careless one, the eye would look again and discover a stronger stillness than mere acidity. A sort of live peace abiding in that weather-beaten little face, under its wild crown of human herbage, 
The features of it were well-shaped, and not smaller than proportioned to the small whole of his person. His eyes, partly perhaps because there was so little flesh upon his bones, were large, and in repose he had, had much of a soft expression. Frequently, too, when occasion roused the needful instinct, they had a sharp expression of outlook and readiness, which without a trace of fierceness or greed, only all the time there was present something else beyond characterization. Behind them something seemed to lie asleep. His hands and feet were small and childishly dainty, his whole body well shaped and well put together, of which the style of his dress rather quashed the evidence. Such was Gibby to the eye as he rose from the dar side to the last cultivated ground on the borders of the burn, and the highest dwelling on the mountain it was the bode of a cotter, and was a dependency of the farm he had just left. The cotter was an old man of seventy. His wife was nearly sixty. They had reared stalwart sons and shapely daughters. Now at service here and there in the valleys below, already to see God in nature, and recognize him in providence. They belonged to a class of Scotland. Their little acres are now swallowed up in the larger farms. It was a very humble dwelling, built of turf upon a foundation of stones, and rooted with turf and straw, warm and nearly impervious to the searching airs of the mountainside. One little window of a foot and a half square looked out on the universe. At one end stood a stack of peat, half as big as the cottage itself. All around it were huge rocks, some of them peaks whose masses went down to the very central fires, others only fragments that had rolled from above. Here and then a thin crop was growing in patches amongst them, the red gray stone lifting its baldness in spots, numberless through the soft waving green. A few of the commonest flowers grew about the door, but there was no garden. The doorstep was live rock, and a huge projecting rock behind formed the back and a portion of one of the end walls. This latter rock had been the attraction to the site because of a hollow in it, which now served as a dairy. For up there with them lived the last cow of the valley, the cow that breathed the loftiest air on all Darfside a good cow, and gifted in feeding well upon little, facing the broad south, and leaning against the hill as against the bosom of God. Sheltering it from the north and east, the cottage looked so high, humble, so still, so confident, that it drew Gibb with the feeling of heart-lightness. He knocked at the old, weather-beaten, shrunken, rent, but well-patched door. A voice alive with the soft vibrations of thought and feeling answered, Come here. What's was in? Where are ye be? Gibby pulled the string that came through a hole in the door, so lifting the latch and entered. A woman sat on a creepy. Her face turned over her shoulder to see who came. It was a gray face with good, simple features and clear gray eyes. The plentiful hair that grew low on her forehead was half gray, mostly covered by a white cap with frills. A clean wrapper, an apron, both of blue print, over a blue winsy petticoat, blue stockings, and strong shoes, completed her dress. A book lay on her lap. Always when she had finished her morning's work and made her house tidy, she sat down to have her comfort, as she called it. The moment she saw Gibby, she rose, had 
he been the angel, Gabriel, come to tell her she was wanted at the throne? Her attention could not have been more immediate or thorough. She was rather a little woman, and carried herself straight and light. Eh, ye pur utkast, she said in the pitying voice of a mother. Who come ye here sick a hiached? Carter, ye hay left the world a hen ye? What wad ye hay here? I hay nothing, receiving no answer but one of the child's smiles. She stood for a moment regarding him, not in mere silence, but with a look of dumbness. She was a mother, loneliness and silence, and constant homely familiarity with the vast simplicities of nature, assists much in the development of the deeper and more wonderful faculties of perception. The perceptions themselves may take this or that shape according to the education, may even embody themselves fantastically, yet be no less perceptions. Now the very moment before Gibby entered, she had been reading in the words of the Lord, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And with her heart full of them, she lifted her eyes and saw Gibby for one moment with the quick flashing response of the childlike imagination of the Celt. She fancied she saw the Lord himself. Another woman might have made a more serious mistake and seen there only a child. Often had Janet pondered as she sat alone on the great mountain while Robert was with the sheep, or she lay awake by his side at night, with the wind howling about the cottage, whether the Lord might not sometimes take a lonely walk to look after such solitary sheep of his flock as they and let them know he had not lost sight of them, for all the ups and downs of the hills. There stood the child, and whether he was the Lord or not, he was evidently hungry. Ah, who could tell, but the Lord was actually hungry in every one of his hungering little ones. In the meantime, only it was, but thought time, not clock time, Gibby stood motionless in the middle of the floor, smiling his innocent smile, asking for nothing, hinting at nothing, but resting his wild, calm eyes, with a sense of safety and mother presence, upon the gray, thoughtful face of the gazing woman. Her awe deepened. It seemed to descend upon her, and fold her in as with a mantle. Involuntarily she bowed her head, and stepping to him took him by the hand, and led him to the stool she had left. There she made him sit, while she brought forward her table, white with scrubbing, took from a hole in the wall, and set upon it a platter of oat cakes, carried a wooden bowl to her dairy in the rock through a whitewashed door, and bringing it back filled half with cream, half with milk, sat that also on the table. Then she placed a chair before it, and said, Sit ye doon, and tack you were the Lord himself, my bonny man, and ye may be for aught I can, for ye lurk per and despised I could gain a better, for it's a I hay to offer ye, sep I might be an egg, she added, cracking herself, and turned and went out. Presently she came back with a look of success, carrying two eggs, which having raked out a quantity, she buried in the hot ashes of the peats, and left in front of the hearth to roast, while Gibby went on eating the thick oatcakes, sweet and substantial, and drinking such milk as the wildest imagination of town boy could never suggest. It was indeed angel's food, food such as would have pleased the Lord himself, after a hard day with axe and saw and plane, so good and simple and strong was it. 
Janet resumed her seat on the low three-legged stool and took her knitting that he might feel neither that he was watched as he ate nor that she was waiting for him to finish. Every other moment she gave a glance at the stranger she had taken in, but never a word he spoke, and the sense of mystery grew upon her. Presently came a great bounce and scramble. The latch jumped up, the door flew open, and after a moment's pause in came a sheepdog, a splendid thoroughbred collie, carrying in his mouth a tiny long-legged lamb, which he dropped half dead in the woman's lap. It was a late lamb, born of a mother which had been sold from the hill, but had found her way back from a great distance, in order that her coming young one might have the privilege of being yeaned on the same spot where she had herself awaked to existence. Another moment, and her ah was heard approaching the door. She trotted in, and going up to Janet's, contemplating the consequences of her maternal ambition. Her udder was full, but the lamb was too weak to suck. Janet rose, and going to the side of the room, opened the door of what might have seemed an old press, but was a bed. Folding back the counterpane, she laid the lamb in the bed and covered it over. Then she got a cop, a wooden dish like a large saucer, and into it melted the oo. Next she carried the cop to the bed, but what means she there used to enable the lamb to drink? The boy could not see, though his busy eyes and loving heart would gladly have taken in all. In the meantime, the collie, having done his duty by the lamb, and perhaps forgotten it, sat on his tail and stared with his two brave, trusting eyes at Sir Gibby, that sat in his owner's chair and ate of the fat of the land. Oscar was a gentleman and had never gone to school, therefore neither fancied nor had been taught that rags make an essential distinction and ought to be barked at. Gibby was a stranger, and therefore, as a stranger, Oscar gave him welcome, now and then stooping to lick the little brown feet that had wandered so far. Like all hungry boys, Gibby ate fast and had finished everything set before him ere the woman had done feeding the lamb. Without a notion of the rudeness of it, his heart full of gentle gratitude, he rose and left the cottage. When Janet turned from her shepherding, there sat Oscar looking up at the empty chair. "'What's come o' the laddie?' she said to the dog, who answered with a low whine, half regretful, half interrogative. It may be he was only asking, like Esau, if there was no residuum of blessing for him also, but perhaps he too was puzzled what to conclude about the boy. Janet hastened to the door, but already Gibby's nimble feet, refreshed to the point of every toe with the food he had just swallowed, had borne him far up the hill behind the cottage, so that she could not get a glimpse of him. Thoughtfully she returned, and thoughtfully removed the remnants of the meal. She would then have resumed her Bible, but her hospitality had rendered it necessary that she should put on her girdle, not a censure of leather upon her body, but a disc of iron on the fire, to bake thereon cakes ere her husband's return. It was a simple enough process, for the oatmeal wanted nothing but water and fire, but her joints had not yet got rid of the winter's rheumatism, and the labor of the baking was the hardest part of the sacrifice of her hospitality. To many it is easy to give what they have, but the offering of weariness and pain is never easy. They are indeed a true salt to salt sacrifices withal. That it was the last of her meal till her youngest boy should bring her a bag 
on his back from the mill the next Saturday made no point in her trouble. When at last she had done, and put the things away, and swept up the hearth, she mounted the oo, sent her out to nimble, took her Bible, and sat down once more to read. The lamb lay at her feet, with his little head projecting from the folds of her new flannel petticoat. And every time her eye fell from the book upon the lamb, she felt as if somehow the lamb was the boy that had eaten of her bread and drunk of her milk. She kneeled down and prayed to the friend of Martha and Mary and Lazarus to come as he had said and sup with her indeed. Not for years and years had Janet been to church. She had long been unable to walk so far and having no book but the best and no help to understand it but the highest. Her faith was simple, strong, real, all-pervading. Day by day she poured over the great gospel, I mean just the good news, according to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, until she had grown to be one of the noble ladies of the kingdom of heaven, one of those who inherit the earth and are ripening to see God, for the master and his mind in hers was her teacher. She had little or no theology save what he taught her, or rather what he is. And of any other than that, the less the better, for no theology except the truth is worth the learning, no other being true. To know him, to know Jesus, is to know God, and he, he who obeys him, cannot fail to know him. To Janet, Jesus Christ was her living Savior, who heard her when she called to him and sent her the help she needed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.